The nagging. Naturalist. It's the Nagging Naturalist Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Nagging Naturalist. This particular one is going to be another one of my RPG naturalist segments, where I talk about some of the creatures that we find in RPG games, especially tabletop RPG games, and discuss ways that things can either be integrated or tinkered with to make them reflect wildlife a little bit more accurately. So in this particular one, I want to focus on sharks because we've got Shark Week coming up, and honestly, I kind of hoped to do RPG Naturalist for the tasseled Wobegong back when I did it, and I figured, you know, let's have some fun with this. So for this particular segment, I'm going to take the three sharks that we find in the current Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition game and break down how they set up these sharks, why they're wrong, (laughs) and how we can make these sharks a little bit more accurate. So let's start off with the giant shark. Now, despite the name giant shark, games like Dungeons and Dragons and other RPG games typically have size ratings for certain kinds of beasts uh, to give you an idea of the space they're going to take up, especially with tabletop games where things have to fill a certain amount or have certain movements. Knowing its size helps determine those things. So the giant shark is classified as a huge beast, so it's going to be growing about between 15 and 20 feet. Less than 15, it's no longer huge, and above 20 foot, it's no longer huge. That's the exact range that it has to meet. So if we're looking at sharks that meet this range, uh, there's quite a few that don't fit it, and some of them might surprise people. So the largest sharks in the ocean are animals like the whale shark and the basking shark. Those are too big to be giant sharks. They would actually, I think, fall within gargantuan. I think that's the next size up. It actually gets rid of quite a few surprising species. So unless we're talking about juveniles of these species, you can't really use the great hammerhead, the great white shark, the megalodon shark. All of those are actually too big to be the giant shark in this case. A species that I can use as a model shark for the giant shark would actually be specimens like tiger sharks, specifically the females, because I think the females of tiger sharks are the only ones that are typically known to attain a size above 15 feet. And just so you know, in the case of a lot of sharks, if not most of them, females are typically larger. When you see big friggin' great white sharks on TV, there's a really good chance that's a lady shark, just so you know. We can also include another fun species, which is the thresher sharks, specifically the common and big eye thresher sharks. Those can also reach over 15 feet, but have not been known to reach uh, quite 20 feet. So they fall perfectly within that space. So if we're looking for a species to use and to be able to describe really well for these encounters, those are two really good ones. If It's specifically an encounter where the shark needs to be able to attack people. Probably want to go with (laughs) the tiger shark, or like I said, it could be a younger, maybe even male, great white shark or great hammerhead shark. Those would be some really good species to use, but again, they'd either be juveniles or males to be a little bit more on the petite side. So let's take a look at the stats that's been given. 
So in tabletop games, especially ones like Dungeons and Dragons, you're going to have the armor class for a creature, their hit points, their speed, and then there's going to be a list of attributes that you can give them as well. So the giant shark has an armor class of 13. Now, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily wearing armor. What it means is this is how hard it is to hit. And especially considering how well sharks move through the water, how their bodies are designed, and how they can very quickly and speedily move around, it makes sense for them to have a high natural armor rating, especially the thresher sharks. They are very flexible, quick to turn, like on a dime kind of shark. They have great flexibility. So I'd actually argue that if you used a thresher shark, it would deserve a higher armor rating, if I'm being completely honest. Anyway, moving on from that. Their hit points are 126, or you can roll 11d12 and add 55 to it. It's not bad, honestly. I don't, I guess I should have looked up the challenge rating for this. I don't think it was a very high challenge rating, but um, 126 hit points isn't bad, especially if you have an encounter with multiple sharks attacking. Now, if it's multiple sharks, that gets a little tricky because most sharks don't socialize, I guess is the best word I can use. Not a lot of sharks hang out in groups. There are certain ones that do, like black tip reef sharks and white tip reef sharks are known for hanging out. However, they're very small. They don't really work out too well in this case. Typically, the only time you see sharks in groups is for mating and migration. I mean, naturally, if you're creating an encounter, you can use any number of reasons why the sharks are there. They could have been summoned, whatever. But I'm just pointing out for those who are trying to use the more natural flow of nature and cycles and things that are happening, migration and mating season are really good reasons to have a lot of very dangerous sharks in one place. Just saying. If it's summertime and you've got, you know, your characters visiting a tropical area and you see that these sharks have like, you know in August mating season, and they're migrating between June and July to reach this place in August and September to breed, there may be a chance that it's not a great idea for your heroes to get in the water. (laughs) The giant shark's swim speed is 50 feet per turn, so that's every six seconds technically. That's actually very fast. I would say for the tiger shark, that's pretty accurate. And I guess for the thresher shark, too, that would work as well. Although, again, I give, I give the thresher shark, like, a little extra speed. They have that long, beautiful tail that can create so much motion. I don't know what their top speed is, though, so it's hard for me to say. Now, of course, if we were using a model like a mako shark, I don't think they get that big. But if there was a mako shark that was big enough to be a giant shark, I would easily argue for a 60 or 70 foot swim speed because, of course, makos are known for their speed. But alas, they are not particularly large sharks. So let's look at their stats right now. So beginning with strength, the giant shark has a 23 with a plus 6, which is very high. That's that's extremely high. And looking at a species like a tiger shark specifically for this one, I guess it's fair. They are a relatively sturdy shark is the best way I can think to describe them. But at the same time, I, I mean, knowing how sensitive sharks can be, it's also kind of tricky. Because considering the size of the shark, if we were to get uh, someone from a large race like the Goliaths, 
if a Goliath got in the water and attempted to flip over a tiger shark to put it into tonic immobility and temporarily pacify the shark, it feels kind of odd to have a shark potentially evenly matched or greater in strength than a person like a Goliath. Because even though these sharks are 15 feet long, they're not as dense as typical boned creatures are. Because remember, sharks have an all-cartilaginous skeleton, so their skeleton is extremely light. It's not as dense and heavy as ours. So the sharks are heavy, don't get me wrong. It's not like they have nothing. They still have a lot of muscle mass in there. However, I feel like the the strength might be okay. I Part of me all, almost wants to argue for a slightly lower strength. I understand the name giant shark is meant to be intimidating and powerful, but if we're talking realistically about what sharks are like, yes, they can be powerful, but not the ones that typically fall within the huge range. I don't feel like those ones qualify as much. If this was a gargantuan beast and was over 20 feet and we had things like great white sharks and great hammerheads in there, I feel like the strength would be more justified. But honestly, a strength of 20 or greater in a shark that's less than 20 feet in length is just just a tad iffy. Just a tad. To be honest, it probably isn't a big deal if it stays like that. I mean, the shark's got to have something going for it because looking at their intelligence, um, I, I, I guess they get all brawn and no brain in this case. But let's not dwell on that too long. Moving on to dexterity. Dexterity is an 11 with a plus zero. I would definitely argue against that. I would definitely boost the dexterity. In fact, let's take three of the points from strength and pass it over to dexterity because... Like I said, especially with creatures like the thresher sharks, you know, they have that great flexible body because they don't have a skeleton like ours. They have that light, very flexible cartilaginous skeleton. They can bend their bodies pretty well and turn very well. Sharks are incredibly dexterous despite how they look. You know, even though you might look at a big honking shark like a great white shark and think, how can that thing possibly be dexterous? They are. And to be honest, we're not even talking about great white sharks. We're talking about sharks smaller than that. Especially if you ever get a chance to look at a thresher shark and literally watch a video of one smacking its prey with its whip-like tail. That is a dexterous shark. They, they are incredible. Tiger sharks, which are a little bit more like cigar-shaped, a little bit more tubular, may not be the most agile. But still, I would... I would give them a slightly higher dexterity rating just because knowing what sharks' bodies are like, I think that they are probably more flexible than the person who created the stats for this thinks they are. Their constitution score is a 21 with a plus 5 modifier. That's that's pretty good. That's not bad. It is high, but considering the sharks we're talking about, I think it's I think it's a relatively fair score for the most part. I still feel like these people are probably thinking when they think giant sharks, they're probably thinking of things like great whites, and it's not right. Again, unless we're talking like a small male or a juvenile, the sharks that they're thinking of are not the same as great whites, but I give them a decent constitution. Sharks are pretty hardy animals for the most part. Again, they can be very sensitive for very specific things, but considering that they can get away with eating 
carcasses, necrotic flesh, and not get sickened by it, and the fact that they are able to eat diseased animals, and they have a very tough immune system that mostly protects them from a lot of different things. Despite the rumors about sharks, they absolutely can develop cancers and tumors. They can get sick. It's just uncommon. So I do think that they deserve a pretty high constitution. Do they deserve a constitution of 21? Maybe. I guess with tiger sharks, considering the things we've seen them eat in the past, like car tires, I guess they can have a pretty high constitution. So I guess we'll leave that be. Their intelligence is rated as a 1 with a minus 5 modifier, which is so unfair to whoever works at Dungeons and Dragons who doesn't know that sharks can actually be trained and they can remember their training. They're pretty smart. (laughs) I mean, it's not a super high intelligence, at least not for the things that we rate intelligence with, of course. The way that we view intelligence is inherently biased. But I would say that sharks have, one, their own unique intelligence that they're adapted to have to survive in their own settings, which I believe any animal deserves some credit for the skills and tasks that they're adapted to do in order to survive and thrive. That plus the fact that sharks can learn new and novel behaviors in settings under human care, the fact that they can be target trained and things like that, shows that they have very good adaptability and they can learn. I mean, I would give them at least a 10 with a zero modifier because I think that they deserve it. And I mean, basically, I think their intelligence and wisdom should be the same because their wisdom score is a 10 with a plus zero. I would argue that they deserve a 10 in both cases. I think that people severely underestimate sharks and their natural adaptations and how truly intelligent they can be. Now, the charisma is almost as insulting as the intelligence. Somebody gave a giant shark a charisma of five with a minus three. How do you give sharks a five? Sharks are such amazing animals. And I'm speaking as somebody who loves invertebrates. Vertebrate animals aren't even my favorite types of animals. And I will fight anybody any day about the absolutely amazing, charismatic lives of the 500 plus different kinds of sharks on this planet. They're phenomenal animals with very incredible adaptations. And I don't know how anybody can look at any species of shark any species. And I'm saying this as somebody who has seen all kinds of weird sharks, lollipop sharks and lantern sharks that are probably a little bit lower on the charismatic spectrum, but still it just absolutely amazing creatures. And the idea of giving them a five blows my mind. I would argue that sharks deserve at least a 12. I mean, look at some of the most incredible sharks we know of whale sharks, great white sharks, 
hammerhead sharks. The ones, the one that I covered, the tasseled wobegong. Wobegongs in general are amazing sharks. Zebra sharks. Oh my gosh, they are so cute. They have the most adorable round faces. There's just any number of amazing and beautiful sharks in this world. And the idea that any of them deserve a charisma score lower than a 12 is just insulting. So whatever a shark hater they put on the D&D team who made these stat cards needs to do some research. I'm just saying. In their skills, they have perception with a plus three. Perception is their ability to pick up on things. And they also have a passive perception of 13. So that means even if they're not paying attention or looking for something passively, they have 13, which means, which is, isn't bad. It's not a huge score, but really, I mean, so for anybody who doesn't know, the score goes from zero to 20. So 10 being the very middle of all that, you know, 13 is in the, you know, better half of the spectrum. It's not huge. It's not a 15 or an 18, which would be extremely high passive perception, but a 13 is pretty good. So that means that if there's something strange going on, they might be able to pick that up a little bit better because of that score. And then the plus three to perception gives them a little bit of a bonus if they're trying to find something. Now they have blind sight. There's a bit of an issue with this, and this goes to, this speaks to people's misunderstanding of sharks and their adaptations. So blind sight in D&D is the ability to perceive your surroundings without relying on sight. So this is for creatures without eyes, and sharks have eyes. So I don't know who decided to give sharks blind sight when they can see. What more accurately describes sharks' abilities would be something more like dark vision, which is the ability to see and perceive well in the dark. The only reason why I can see giving sharks blind sight is because of their electroreceptive senses. So their ampullae of Lorenzini is an organ that you can see on sharks. So if you look closely at sharks, it might look like they have freckles or little spots all over their face or pores. So what those things are is they are essentially like pores, but they're full of this special jelly and this system of nerves that is very acutely sensitive to changes in chemistry and electricity in the water. If you look at look at the human body, we produce a small amount of electricity. And a lot of that comes from our heart. Our heart, every time it goes, produces a small electric pulse. If we were to, like a fish, like hide ourselves in the sand to hide from sharks or rays, they would be able to detect us under the sand despite not seeing us because of that special electroreception. But I wouldn't give them blind sight for that. I would give them dark vision of at least 20 to 30 feet versus this blind sight of 60 feet, which is insane. I would give them dark vision with a 20 to 30 foot range, and I would actually increase their passive perception and their perception. So I would argue for a passive perception of at least 15 or higher, and then a bonus perception modifier of a plus five or higher. I think that those three things more accurately represent shark senses than blind sight does because blind sight 
gives the idea that they don't rely heavily on their eyes, which is a lie. Their eyes aren't as important to them as they are to us. We do rely on our eyes more than sharks probably do, but sharks do use their eyes. There's a reason why they have them. They haven't evolved to not have eyes. Even deep sea sharks still have eyes, and in fact, some of them have some pretty big old bug eyes to help them pick up more light. So I don't think that blindsight is an accurate stat for any shark to have. And this is going to apply to future sharks too, because I believe that the other types of sharks that they have in D&D also have blindsight. So I would argue across the board for all sharks, uh, dark vision of, let's say, 30 feet, passive perception of at least 15, and then a perception bonus of plus five or more. Oh, here we go. Here's the challenge rating. So the giant shark is a five which is pretty good. Five is, uh, I mean, if you do experience points, it's worth 1,800, which isn't bad. But a challenge rating of five is pretty good. This isn't something you'd want to put several of these sharks up against your, you know, level one or two adventurers. But, you know, slightly higher level adventurers might be able to take on a small group of these sharks. It's not bad. Now for the final bit, we have some abilities and actions that they can take. Now, one of them is water breathing, which is kind of a given for sharks. They can only breathe underwater. I, I certainly hope we all know that, that we're all on the same page with that. They do not breathe air. They cannot come out of water without being in danger. There's also an ability called blood frenzy, which means that the shark has advantage on melee attack rolls against any creature that doesn't have all of its hit points. So if somebody has been attacked already and lost a couple of hit points, then their melee attack, which really the shark only has a melee attack because it doesn't do much else, gets advantage. Which, I mean, I'll 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 give that to them. Especially uh creatures like the tiger shark. I feel like knowing some of their natural behaviors, they probably would get more excited as creatures bled out into the water. Speaking of bleed, their one attack is bite. Go figure. It's considered a melee weapon attack with their mouth. <laughs> it is a plus nine to hit with a five foot reach on one target. And it is a 3d10 plus six for piercing damage, which can, I mean, can hit pretty heavy. That means you can take 36 total points of piercing damage. That's not small considering it's just a bite attack. For the tiger shark, that's perfectly fine. However, if you were using a creature like the Thresher Shark, I would probably trade out the Blood Frenzy because they do have that whip-like tail that can inflict bludgeoning damage and it's meant to stun prey. I would give them a move. I'd probably homebrew something like a Tail Whip move and I'd give it... I'd make it a bludgeoning of like 2 or 3 D6 for damage and then the player would probably have to make a constitution saving throw against, let's say, maybe about a 13 to avoid being stunned for a round of combat. Because the, that's what thresher sharks do, is they literally whip their tail around to stun fish. And I can imagine that that would be a pretty good weapon to use against other creatures. So I would say that I would let them keep the bite attack, but because they do have smaller mouths, I'd probably do a 1d10 plus 6 for piercing damage versus the 3d10, because tiger sharks have much bigger mouths and are known to be a little bit more voracious. 
So the 3D 10 plus 6 makes sense. But I would say for the Thresher Shark, I would give them like a tail whip move that inflicts some damage and can stun and give them the bite move, but reduce how much damage it would cause to keep it kind of balanced. Moving on from the giant shark to another, the hunter shark. This one is a large beast. Now, because a large beast is smaller than a huge beast, this actually gives us a lot more to work with because, believe it or not, most sharks are actually a lot smaller than people think. Your average shark is usually less than five feet in length. So the smaller the shark gets, the more types of sharks you can use. So for the large beast, this is going to be between 10 and 14 feet. And there's lots you could use. There's Galapagos sharks, there's smooth hammerheads, goblin sharks, lemon sharks, and sicklefin lemon sharks, blue sharks, bull sharks, frilled sharks, nurse sharks, zebra sharks, short-finned makos, gray reef sharks, copper sharks, silky sharks, dusky sharks, sand tiger sharks, Seven gill sharks, six gill sharks, and oceanic white tip sharks. Lots of sharks. <laughs> Way greater variety in this range. So this shark has a armor class of 12 instead of the 13 that the giant shark had. I guess I kind of get it. It's a little smaller, so somehow they think that it should be easier to get. But in all honesty, the smaller these sharks get, the more dexterous they get. So I feel like their armor class should actually be going up as they get smaller. I know it may not necessarily make a lot of sense, but these sharks are going to be able to evade hits more easily. So it actually doesn't make sense. I would actually at least keep it at the 13 for the hunter shark. I actually wouldn't decrease it. The hit points are 45 or 6d10s plus 12. That's a pretty significant drop from the 126 we had at the giant shark. I don't feel like that's quite fair. I feel like they should probably have something closer to like 80 and change hit points to reflect the differences in size because even though they've lost five feet, a lot of these sharks are still built pretty much the same. There's, I mean, a lot of the sharks that I just listed off, like sand tiger sharks and bull sharks, those are really sturdy and strong sharks. Like I wouldn't, it's weird to think of them having almost a third the hit points of the previous shark we just discussed. Doesn't make any sense. I guess because they're only a challenge rating of two, they have such lower hit points. But when we're looking at this from like a practical standpoint of what are giant sharks versus hunter sharks, it doesn't actually make that much sense. What are you doing, D&D? Anyway, they have a swim speed of 40 feet per turn. I kind of like the 50-foot one better that we had on the giant shark. But, I mean, I guess for some of these sharks, like the sand tiger and such, I can I can kind of see how they'd be slower. But if you're going to use something like a short-finned mako, again, mako, some of the fastest sharks and even some of the fastest animals in the ocean definitely should be like 60, 70 feet per turn. They're fast. If that's who you're using as your model shark for a hunter shark, it need to be fast. Just saying. Their strength is an 18 with a plus 4, which I think is better than the giant shark stats as far as representing accurately uh, the strength of an actual shark. The dexterity is 13 with a plus 1 mo modifier. It's good. It works. 
especially for ones like the zebra shark and the mako and stuff. Those are going to be very quick, flexible sharks. Constitution is a 15 plus 2. I'd, I'd probably argue for an 18, but that's just me. Again, the intelligence I would have kept at a 10 with a plus 0, and the wisdom is still a 10 plus 0. So again, I'd have wisdom and intelligence be the same of 10 plus 0, but that's just me. Somehow the charisma dropped from a 5 to a 4 with a minus 3 again. I am just aghast at the fact that anybody thought to give sharks these incredibly low charisma ratings. It's obscene. Have you ever seen a zebra shark? They are so cute. We have this one at my aquarium. Her name is Zoe. I've been to over a dozen different types of aquariums at this point, easily, and even zoos that have aquariums in them. And I've seen so many different zebra sharks. And I'm not speaking with any bias because I'll be honest, if I meet a shark at a facility that is not my own and it's prettier than a shark at my facility, I'll say it out loud. However, currently, to my knowledge of seeing all these different zebra sharks in so many different aquariums and zoos, our zebra shark at the National Aquarium, Zoe, our big female, is undoubtedly one of the most beautiful zebra sharks I have ever seen. I know there's still a lot of zebra sharks in the world for me to see. There might be one that I think is prettier than Zoe, but based on the ones I've seen so far, None of them compare to Zoe. I've been to the California Academy of Science. I've been to the Adventure Aquarium. I've been to, oh, what's that place in Kentucky that I went to? The Newport Aquarium. Just lots of different aquariums. And they all had zebra sharks. And I have pictures of them. And they're pretty. They're attractive sharks. Don't get me wrong. Zebra sharks are gorgeous. But our Zoe is one of the most aesthetically pleasing zebra sharks I've ever seen. Our Zoe would deserve no less than a charisma of 18. But again, just putting it out there in general for sharks, I think they should have at least a 12 across the board. So staying fair here, at least a 12. <laughs> I'm going to stop ranting about Zoe now. Moving on to skills and senses. Again, I would keep it the same. They should, And actually, the hunter shark has dark vision instead of blind sight. So I thought they all had blind sight, but this one actually does have dark vision of 30 feet, which I would keep. But the passive perception is only a 12 and a plus 2. Again, I think the passive perception should be a 15 and a plus 5 to reflect their actual senses and abilities because... All sharks have that ampullae of Lorenzini that lets them have that elect electroreception, plus they have chemical sensory with their lateral line. These sharks are super equipped to detect things, even things they can't see. They should have higher perception, period. These sharks have the same ability as the giant sharks. They have the blood frenzy and then the bite attack. And though their bite attack is a little bit less, it's a plus six to hit with the five foot reach. And then it's only 2d8 plus 4 piercing damage, which I guess is fine. I guess if you're talking about a smaller shark, it works. But in all honesty, if you've never seen the teeth of a mako or a sand tiger shark, I would actually give them higher piercing damage. Although if you're using something like 
a nurse shark or a zebra shark whose teeth are not very long. I, I mean, the 2D piercing damage probably works because they don't have really big shark teeth for the most part. So that was our hunter shark. The next one is the reef shark. Now, I listed a couple of reef sharks earlier, and there are a few. There's black tip reef sharks, white tip reef sharks, gray reef sharks, silver tip reef sharks, Caribbean reef sharks, the wobegongs that I discussed, especially the tassel wobegong, I would call a reef shark because it, it is specific to reefs. And there are some other types of sharks that are usually associated with reefs, like angel sharks and certain bullheaded sharks, like the Port Jackson shark. Those are all closely associated with reefs, and since this is a medium beast, the size only ne- the size only needs to be between five and nine feet, which a lot of these sharks qualify for. Black tip reef sharks, white tip reef sharks, and so on, they all fall within that five to nine foot range, so they would actually work in this case. The natural armor is a twelve, very much like the hunter shark. I. You know, again, I I just keep it at that 13 for the most part. I don't think people understand how quickly sharks can move when they need to and get out of a situation. And since armor class does take into account dexterity, which I'm letting it slide that it's a 13, but it really should be kind of (laughs) higher. The hit points for these guys are only 22. I mean, they're only a half challenge rating, but 22 is nothing. I guess if your characters are all, like, level 1, 2, and 3 for the most part, and you've got several reef sharks, because they do congregate in groups sometimes, I can kind of get it. You know, if you have, like, eight black tip reef sharks going up against your adventurers, it can be quite challenging, but... <sighs> it doesn't feel like the numbers are going down very evenly. <laughs> it feels like there are some really big drops very quickly in some of these. The alternative is you could give them a hit points of 4d8 plus 4. I should mention if you're rolling for hit points, very often that's for people who are choosing animal companions. They can roll for hit points. In most cases, if you're creating an encounter, you're not usually rolling for hit points. You just take whatever is given to you and go with it. Swim speed is 40 feet per turn, which, considering that they're shorter sharks, much like a person with shorter legs can't walk as fast as a person with longer legs, Shorter sharks are typically not swimming as fast as larger sharks are. Not to say that they can't have a burst of speed, but for the most part, the 40 foot per turn is probably somewhat accurate. The strength score is a 14 with a plus 2. Eh. Eh. Maybe give them... I'd I'd probably prefer a 15 or 16, but that's just me. Dexterity is 13 plus 1. I don't know why they hate shark dexterity so much, but they do. Constitution is also 13 plus 1. Eh? Eh? Intelligence is the same, and my argument's still the same. Intelligence and wisdom should both be 10 even. And the charisma's still a 4 for these guys, which is an absolute lie. They are definitely 12s, and I'm gonna fight somebody at D&D every time I look at these charisma scores on sharks. Oh, goodness. The senses, again, has the blind sight which again, I would eliminate. And the perception is low. It's a 12 and the skills perception bonus is a plus two. Again, dark vision for 30 feet, passive perception of at least 15, perception bonus of plus five, whatever. 
Now, this is what's a little bit more interesting about these guys is they have what's called pack tactics. So at the very least, somebody got some research right when it came to black tip reef sharks and white tip reef sharks, which often work in packs very much like wolves. So the sharks have advantage on rolls against a creature if at least one of the shark's allies is within five feet of the creature and the ally isn't incapacitated. So if you're fighting multiple sharks and the shark has one of its shark allies within five feet of the creature it's attacking, it gets advantage. They also have the bite attack. It's only a plus four to hit with 1d8 plus two piercing damage. I guess I, I get it. I would probably give them at least a 1d12, honestly, or do the 1d8 plus 4, mostly because these sharks are going to have those nice, long, sharp teeth for the most part. Many of these reef-dwelling sharks are typically fish eaters, and the ones that eat fish usually have those pronged, elongated, fork-like teeth or knife-like teeth. Usually sharks that are eating shellfish have the blunter teeth. So that's why animals like nurse sharks and zebra sharks wouldn't cause as much piercing damage. They're eating shelled animals, and you don't want long, sharp teeth. They will break on those shells. You have shorter, blunter teeth that can crack through the shell. But for many of the reef sharks, most of them are typically fish eaters, so they're going to have those long, piercing teeth. In my head, they deserve a little bit more piercing damage, but that's just me. You can kind of finagle it any way you want to at the end of the day. These are just recommendations for having the stats of the sharks better reflect reality, basically. Those are our sharks. Hope you guys enjoyed this. For those of you that play games, <laughs> and especially if you like the homebrew and tinker a little bit with things, you know, maybe this gave you some ideas of better ways to tinker with the animals. If you are a player please make sure that you talk to your game or dungeon master before you tinker with anything stats. It should be approved by your game or dungeon master before you apply it in-game. And if, of course, if you're a game or dungeon master, you get to do what you want because it's literally your game. However, you should make sure that if you're homebrewing things, that that is something you communicate with your players ahead of time, that you intend to alter things. Now, of course, it's not necessarily to create imbalance, but to better reflect reality. There are ways to balance it if you do find that certain creatures are maybe a little too overpowered or underpowered. You know, we all know that you can boost and finagle stats or hit points and armor classes here and there to kind of help keep it even and keep it challenging for the players while not, you know, TPKing every time they come up against <laughs> a pack of reef sharks in the game. But I hope this helps with any ideas people have or things that they want to do in-game to help bring more diversity to the wildlife encounters that they have with their players. And if the players do choose to have shark allies, I do think it's fair to make sure that the shark allies have accurate representation of what they can actually do. Because if we're trying to create, I understand that it's fantasy, but if if we're trying to create some realism, even within a fantasy setting, I do think it's important that we're making sure that we're accurately informed about the natural abilities of animals. So that's a wrap for this final episode for the month of July. I am still on the fence as to whether or not I'm going to resume Animal of the Month next month for August, just because even though I'm going to get a bit of a break during my semester, 
my following semester is going to be five classes, which is a pretty big workload, but I'm trying to distribute my classes a little bit and have them have different start dates. So I'm not doing all five completely at once, but it is going to be a bit of a challenge. So we'll see what happens. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me. I am the naturalist at thenaggingnaturalist.com. You can also check out my website, thenaggingnaturalist.com. And you can find me on social media on Facebook and Instagram under the nagging naturalist. And my Twitter handle is at nag underscore naturalist. Thank you all so much for listening in. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And stay tuned next week for more on the wonderful world of wildlife.